Amen. All right, let's get into the Word of God uh, today as we begin a brand new sermon series titled Immersed, Immersed. Now, um, how many of you ever heard these awesome commercials on TV about these awesome deals you can get, and then at the end, the guy's talking 900 miles an hour, giving you a disclaimer. I'm going to give you the disclaimer up front for this sermon series, okay? Let me just go ahead and tell you right now that as we begin this series, there's one thing I'm sure of before it's over. All of you are going to disagree with me about something that I teach about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a, a controversial topic. The Bible is crystal clear on some things about the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a little bit uh, uh, not so clear on some other things about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in this world and in this life, we see through a glass what? Darkly. In other words, we see through a glass that smudge. But when he who is perfect is come, then we will see all things clearly. We will see as we are seen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be teaching uh, uh, what I believe the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you, some of you aren't going to agree with me. As a matter of fact, all of you will probably find things you, you don't agree with. Now, you'll be wrong, but still, uh, you have that right. Um, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about it. I'll probably get, after this series, I'll probably get home and go, you know, I, I don't think I agree with myself on that. So don't feel bad. Now, why would I say that? Why would I say that? Here's why. Because in a church this size, we have a multitude of religious backgrounds in this church. A multitude of religious backgrounds. And, uh, you know, whatever, whatever religious background you have, however you were brought up, plays into your theological process and your doctrinal beliefs even to this day. And so that's going to come into play, whatever your background was. Um, some of you have had different experiences as you have sought God in the spiritual world and in the spiritual realm. You've had different experiences. And so some of you are going to say, you know, we're kind of like the, 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 guy, uh, the guys who were healed by Jesus when he touched their eyes. Uh, one of them, he put spittle on their eye, so a whole denomination called the Spittites was born. And then he mixed some spittle with dirt and made mud, and he healed a guy's eyes with mud. And so the Mudites, that denomination, started. And so they said, no, he heals only with spittle. The other one said, no, he heals only with mud. And then he just touched a guy one day. And so another denomination, the Touchites, that denomination was born. Do you understand that we try to form our little denominations and put God in a box, and you can't put God in a box? You cannot put God in a box, and we try so hard to do that based on our backgrounds and our experiences. Many of us have different scriptural interpretations and perspectives. I'm sure in this church there are a lot of Holy Spirit camps within this church. And so some of you, when I'm teaching on this, uh, and we're going to teach on it through September 2nd, so, you know, we always do a summer series, and... Um, I'm going to teach on it through September 2nd, and some of you are going to say, oh, he went too far on that. He went too far. And while you're going, he went too far, there's going to be somebody on the other side of the church going, well, he didn't go far enough on that. He should have said some more about that. And so, you know, we're just going to have different uh, perspectives about it. When it comes to Acts chapter 2, 
Acts chapter 2 is one of those crucial passages of Scripture, and we'll talk about that more next week, how crucial Acts chapter 2 is in our Bible. Um, it talks about the works of the Holy Spirit, and so when it comes to the works of the Holy Spirit, we got all kind of groups with all kind of views trying to make all kinds of points. And so what we're going to do is just look at what the Bible says and uh, let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Now, when you're dealing with a crucial passage of Scripture like Acts 2, uh, you're exposed to some truth, wonderful, but you're also exposed to some error as people attempt to interpret the true meaning of this uh, incredible chapter. And what I want to share with you in this sermon series is what I believe in my heart uh, God is saying in this passage at the same time, I'm well aware of my own imperfections. As I said earlier, I'll probably look back on this and go, you know, I taught that in that series, but I think I view it this way now. Um, so, so I'm not a perfect teacher uh, at all. Uh, it's not my intention to take a swipe at other Christians. It's not my intention in this series to take a swipe at other churches and denominations who feel that the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is something quite different than what I interpret the Scriptures to be saying. It's not my intention to divide individual Christians or families. It's not my intention to divide this church or my intention to divide the body of Christ at all. This is only my attempt over the next couple of months uh, to study and to stand here with God's help and to clearly discern and communicate to you what this passage says. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right, with all that said, let's uh, get into it. You ready for the word today? Here's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to take a bird's eye view of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two ways to study the Bible. This gives me a chance to promote navigators ministry a little bit. Uh, Mike and Debbie Moss are the navigator directors for this area. Navigators is an awesome, incredible, amazing ministry. I encourage you to go to navigators.org when you get home and check it out. The director of navigators for this area comes to this church. Navigators is responsible for discipling Billy Graham. Pretty good, huh? They uh, also were in the process. They also were part of the process of Chuck Swindoll's. Uh, discipling and many, many other very, very famous uh, ministers who we read and look at and listen to. Uh, Navigators is awesome. Right now, in this early service, there's a class going on in the Impact Building taught by Mike and Debbie Moss, primarily Mike, uh, on the book of Acts. He's actually teaching on the book of Acts over there right now. In October, he is going to teach New Testament survey on Wednesday nights. Now, it's going to be a class. It is going to be a Bible class. We're going to have a textbook. We want you to bring your notes. We want you to bring your pen. We want you to be ready to go. And when you do a New Testament survey study, what you do is back away from the New Testament and look at it. Uh, when we talk about a bird's eye view, we mean look at the whole thing kind of at one time and see how the New Testament flows and how one part connects to another part. Then when you zero down, when you drill down on a particular word in Scripture or a particular phrase or verse or passage, you will have a deeper understanding of your microscopic view of Scripture because you have taken uh, classes on the overall 
a bird's eye view of that uh, testament of the Bible, the New Testament in the case that I'm talking about. So guys, it's just really, really important. I hope you will. It's going to be 14 weeks. It's going to be a, a longer series than we normally do. But I just really, really encourage you to set your calendar uh, to, to be here on Wednesday nights beginning in October. And of course, we hope you'll be here on Wednesday nights um, all the time, except for July, and, uh, and get the classes that are going on in here because right now we're having a class on fatherhood and uh, Pastor Andy teaches awesome, relevant classes in here from time to time. Uh, Scott Jennings uh, teaches on family and marriage and he and Sherry. And uh, uh, y'all remember on Wednesday nights uh, a few years ago we had what we called Young Guns and we let our young preachers get up and preach, or our new preachers, uh, whether they're young or old, uh, they've just been called into the ministry, they believe God's called them to teach, they believe God's called them to preach. Well, it's our responsibility as a church to let them get up and preach, let them get up and teach. And so Pastor Andy is um, putting that list together. And if you didn't get a call from us, and you didn't get an invitation, if you are called to be a preacher or teacher and you believe God's put a message on your heart, then t talk to Pastor Andy and uh, we'll get you involved with the young guns. Uh, uh, that'll, that'll be several weeks on Wednesday night toward the end of the summer. So uh, mark that down, okay? All right. Now what I'm going to do today is just a little bit different than I usually do in teaching. I'm going to preach from the slides. I'm going to preach from the slides. So my slide guy, my slide gal, I know they're ready. Don't y'all know they're ready? Let's give it up for our media team. Let's give it up right now. Amen. Wake up in there. Wake up, wake up. Okay. Um, uh, Mitchell Grantham, the uh, great high potentate of media ministry, is on vacation this week. You guys all right back there? You're doing good, man. You guys are doing good. Uh, and so, so let's get started. First slide. Wait, 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 wait. That looked pretty good to me, uh, except for the back. Okay. Uh, the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God, the Father, co-equal with God, the Son, yet at the same time, He is also distinct from them. We are a church that believes in the Trinity. We are Trinitarians. So let us say the Trinity. Let's speak it forth. God the Father, God the, God the Spirit. Not three gods. We are not polytheistic. On Thursday night I was at the Goldsboro campus and I told them we were not polygamist. And they were like, yeah, we're not. <laughs> You're the wrong word. And I said, here's what I told them though. I said, even when I make a mistake, I'm preaching truth. Isn't that awesome? So we're not, we're not polytheistic. The word polytheistic means the worship of multiple gods. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that's confusing to me. Well, uh, you know, the Bible says we're made in the image of God. Uh, you say, well, doesn't that mean God kind of looks like us? Let's hope not. Here's what it means. Here's one of the things it means. God is Trinitarian. We're Trinitarian. We have a body. We have a body. I have more body than I wish I had. We have a body. We have a 
mind and we have a spirit, which is the seed of God. Of course, the body made up of skin and fingernails and hair and eyes and ears and all that stuff. So that's our body, this earth suit that we will lay aside when we go up to heaven. Amen? And so, um, so we have a body. We have a mind. That's where the will is, the intellect. That's where um, emotions are in the mind. And then when you accept Christ into your life, he comes into you by way of your spirit. The spirit, that is the seat of God. The spirit of you is the seat of God. Now, I don't know if something else is sitting on that throne right now, but I would, I would recommend to you, I would greatly advise you, that whatever's sitting on the throne of your spirit, kick it off and put God there. Because that's his seat. That's his seat. That's his rightful place. Now, when he comes into your life through your spirit, takes his seat on the throne of your life, then the longer you serve him, the longer you study him, study the scriptures, the more he begins to take over the way you think, the more he begins to take over your mind. The more you love him, the more you draw near to him, the more he, begin to affect, he begins to affect what you do with your body, serving others, blessing others, uh, using your body to, to help in ministry and to build the kingdom. And so... Uh, we are Trinitarians, and what we're emphasizing in this first slide is that God, uh, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, and the Father is God. Now, I'm going to show you a picture that's going to clear it all up for you. So let's look at that picture right now. There you go. There you go. There it is. There's the Trinity right there. Everybody good? Y'all understand the Trinity now? You go, not really. I just would like to have an apple. Okay. All right, let's talk about it. First of all, that apple looks sad. Okay. Now you won't hear anything else I say because you'll be thinking about the sad apple. So in the middle of this apple, what looks like sad eyes is actually the what? The seeds or the whole thing is called the core the core of the apple outside the core is this white part we'll call that the flesh of the apple okay and then on the outside is what skin so you have the core you have the flesh and you have the skin now is um is the core apple very good because the rest of them weren't sure but you got it right the core is apple is the flesh apple is the skin apple is the core the skin? Is the flesh the skin? Which one hadn't I said? Is the skin the core? No. But they're all a lesson in the Trinity. <laughs> it's one of those mysteries. The Trinity is one of those mysteries of the Bible. And uh, we are Trinitarians, and uh, we do not worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons. The point we want to nail down, and I'll nail it down a couple more times before this sermon's over, what we want to nail down is that it, it, the Holy Spirit, not it, but he, is co-equal with God. The Holy Spirit is co-equal. When the Holy Spirit's here, God's here. 
When Jesus was hanging on the cross, God was hanging on the cross. When, when, when Jesus died, in a sense, God died. When Jesus rose from the dead, God rose from the dead. When the Holy Spirit moved in Acts 2, God moved in Acts 2. Y'all with me? So, so uh, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit. But all three of them are God. God. So co-equal. Let's go to the next slide. Scripture describes the Holy Spirit in personal terms, not as an impersonal force. So we don't refer to the Holy Spirit. I do it sometimes just out of, you know, mistake. Uh, I call the Holy Spirit it, but the Holy Spirit's not it. Uh, that would, would it be offensive to you to be called it? Oh, it's sitting right over there, you know. Sometimes we do that, though, and God understands. You know, we're not perfect, but the Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. So Scripture describes the Holy Spirit in personal terms, not as an impersonal force. When it says that the Holy Spirit, and I want you to say these four things with me. The Holy Spirit, first of all, he teaches. Look, I'm not your main teacher. He is. I'm not your main teacher. He's your main teacher. I will say things to you in my teaching that aren't right because I am human. He will never teach you anything but pure, unadulterated fact and truth. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. The Holy Spirit's my teacher. My sermons will get way out of whack when I start listening to anybody other than the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit what? Guides. Anybody need some direction in their life? Let me ask you what your relationship is with the Holy Spirit. If you need guidance, then you need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to seek to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. The Holy Spirit is a guide. People say, well, I'm not sure I want to be filled with the Spirit. I'm not sure I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be baptized with the best teacher there is? Yes. You want to be filled with somebody who will comfort you? Absolutely. Uh, guides. And then the third one is comforts. And then he what? intercedes so when you ask to be filled with the holy spirit this is what you're asking to be filled with and i know um you know i grew up in a pentecostal church and i grew up uh but but the teaching about the holy spirit and, and i'm just being very honest here today was very narrow it was very narrow i, I saw the holy spirit as somebody you know who who just makes you have a certain experience and then if you don't have that experience, then you must not really be close to God. So I lived a lot of my life very insecure in my relationship with God because of the narrow teaching about the Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is way more than maybe what you've been told He is. And so what, that's what we want to get into in this series because what I want you to understand, and look, I know there's a bunch of scripture references up there. You might be trying to write all this down. You, you can't write it all down. I'm going to go too fast. Uh, so just email me or Facebook me, and I'll send you these notes. I sent a bunch of notes from Thursday and last night, and I'll send you the notes uh, with all the scripture references and everything. Um, but, but I want you, I feel like it's my responsibility as a pastor of this church for you to understand, and, and I know that we can never teach all there is to teach about anything in the Bible because the Bible is always brand new, isn't it? It's always fresh. But I want you to understand as much about the Holy Spirit as you can because the Holy Spirit is far more than an emotional 
experience in your life. And I want you to get that, okay? So uh, let's go to the next slide. The Holy Spirit uh, possesses emotions. The Holy Spirit uh, possesses intellect. And the Holy Spirit possesses a will. And so that just, again, talks about uh, that he is a person. He is a person. He, he has emotions. Anybody, and I, you can just speak out loud, what, what's, a, what's an emotion uh, that the Holy Spirit would have? Pain. Well, yes, absolutely. Grief. Love. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit can be offended. And, and so the, Holy, the Bible's filled with uh, different emotions that the Holy Spirit can feel. The Holy Spirit has intellect, uh, to say the least. And the Holy Spirit has a will. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you, I don't want you laying awake at night going, well, I must not be a great Christian because I never hear God's voice. Well, I've never heard God's voice audibly, but I've heard God's voice. I've heard God's voice. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And I think when we, we could go back a couple of slides and look at guidance, a lot of times we say, well, the Holy Spirit led me. Well, that's really the Holy Spirit talking to you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And uh, the Holy Spirit does speak. The Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. The Holy Spirit spoke to the whole church. The Holy Spirit gave counsel to the early church. Does the bridge want the counsel of the Holy Spirit? Amen, amen, amen. I mean, I want the counsel, I want the word of the Holy Spirit to be spoken in this house. Because this church doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. This is his church. And if it's his church, he ought to be able to speak up in here anytime he wants to. You say, well, that might freak me out. Well, you're going to have to get over it because God speaks in his house and speaks to his house and speaks to his church. The Holy Spirit is God. The church is owned by God. He, we are bought and paid for. We belong to him. And a church that recognizes that and understands that and declares that and preaches that and walks in that truth, I'm going to tell you, God is going to speak up in that house. And he's going to speak in that house, okay? So he speaks. Let, let's go to the next one. Holy Spirit can be sinned against. And the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And you probably looking at that know what story that is in the Bible. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, they sinned against the Holy Spirit, lied to the Holy Spirit. And when you read that story and you understand that story, you're going to uh, fully understand that's something you don't want to be doing. You don't want to be doing that, okay? Um, uh, let's go to the next slide, which is a, a pretty full slide. The Scripture reveals the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we already talked about that in the first slide, but guys, there's no more crucial doctrine or the, theological truth about the Holy Spirit than this one, and that is that the Holy Spirit is deity. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. So we could actually read that first sentence like this. The Scriptures reveal the, de the godness, the godness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is, the Holy Spirit is, spoken of as God in the Bible and is even identified with the title of Jehovah. 
The Holy Spirit is identified as Jehovah in the Scriptures. Therefore, the Christian who is indwelt by the Spirit is indwelt by God. When you, um, when you are, and I'm going to use some, some Bible language here. I'm going to use some Christianese here. But I think probably everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. When you're saved, when you're born again, when you're regenerated, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Any, any dealings that God has with you is through the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people get this idea of, well, you know, I've got Jesus, but I don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Well, you may not, you may not have enjoyed that immersion. You may not have enjoyed being infilled with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you a long time. You might be sitting here saying, well, I haven't even believed in Jesus yet. I haven't even received Jesus yet. I understand that. But there's something called conviction, and that's the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember conviction? We ought to remember conviction before we were saved, and we ought to remember conviction. How many of y'all have been convicted since you've been saved? Amen. And, and you know what I say about that? Bring it. I need all the help I can get from God staying on the straight and narrow, don't you? Y'all look real holy out there. So, so um, the Holy Spirit, when, when you are born again, when you ask Jesus into your heart, and we'll get into that a little deeper in a minute, God comes into you. The Holy Spirit does that work of regeneration. And it is God who comes into you. And if you've accepted Christ this morning as your personal Savior, understand, stop putting yourself down. God is in you. God is in you. Everybody say, God is in me. Now, you've got to let him come out. Let him come out in your words. Let him come out in your attitude. Let him come out in your spirit. Let him come out in the acts of your hands and in the places your feet take you. He's in you. Beautiful truth right there. Next slide. The Holy Spirit possesses the attributes of deity. Again, nailing down this theological point that the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God. The Holy Spirit possesses the attributes of deity, such as, and here's some big words, but you know all the meaning, omniscience, that means he knows all things. Omnipresence, that means he is everywhere all the time. Omnipotence, meaning that he is all-powerful, not just powerful or highly powerful or greatly powerful, but all-powerful, omnipotence, and he is eternal. That's a pretty awesome thing about God. God always has been. God always has been. The Holy Spirit always has been. Jesus arrived on earth in Bethlehem, but Jesus, before he arrived on earth, always had been. Listen, God's eternal in both directions. There is no beginning to God and there is no end to God. I cannot explain it to you. But it is truth. It is truth. There's no other God like our God. There's none to be compared with our God. Our God is risen from the dead. No other like him. No other God should even be mentioned in the same sentence with him. He is the great high potentate. 
There is, there is a, he is a king enthroned and there is no law that supersedes his law and nothing makes him tremble and nothing makes him fear. He is the almighty God. Don't even put him in a sentence with Muhammad. Did I just do it? Okay. Don't put him in a sentence, period. <laughs> with people like Muhammad. Or any other. You know what? All those false gods are nothing in the world but the devil with a mask on. We're online, aren't we? Hi, online audience. Good to see you all today. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, The Holy Spirit does works only God can do. Again, nailing down this truth that the God of the Bible and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. Notice the three qualities there. Creating. The Holy Spirit is is a creator. The Holy Spirit was here at creation. The Holy Spirit was here at creation. You remember, I mean, the Holy Spirit showed up real early in Genesis. You remember the, the, the earth was without form and void. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit, like a hen, it's the same, it's the same Hebrew word, it, like a hen brooding over um, eggs that caused the eggs to hatch and then brooding over the chicks to nurture them and keep them warm. The Holy Spirit covered the earth. And, w- and, and until it did, until he did, see, until he did, uh, Uh, The earth was without form and void, but the Holy Spirit brought order and the Holy Spirit brought form and set up an environment where God could place his creations and that greatest creation being you and I, the final creation. So he is um, the creator. He's the recreator or the regenerator. He doesn't only generate, but he regenerates. He doesn't only create, but he recreates. I believe in the music we were singing today, we sung about that, how that God will make us new. He'll make us new. God's not just a creator, he's a recreator. The Holy Spirit can recreate. See, if you're sitting here this morning, let's make some application here, and you say, this is the, I've, I've ruined my life. I've ruined my life. I've made so many bad decisions. My life is over. I'm ruined. Listen to me. No, you are not. He will make you new. He will recreate you. He will regenerate you and then sanctify you. We could preach on this a long time. Let me just urge you to pray for sanctification in your life. We're talking about going deeper. We're bringing in uh, Mike and Debbie Moss to teach us more deep things about the Bible so we can go deeper in the Scripture. But you need to go deeper in your prayer life. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. You need to pray for the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to pray that the Holy Spirit will sanctify you. Listen carefully now. When you are saved, when you are saved, matter of fact, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, will you just give me a little wave offering right here? Amen. So you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. When that happened, when that happened in the act of salvation, in the act of regeneration, in the act of justification, in that redeeming act, God purchasing you back to Him, 
you, the, the sins you had done were forgiven. The sins you had committed were forgiven. The sins you had acquired were forgiven, and your slate was wiped clean. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, what is this whole sanctification thing? Listen, you have a nature in you that is bent toward evil. You're not born good and you mess up. I am pleased to tell you, you're born messed up. You're born messed up. You know, people say, well, the reason I'm like I am is my mama wouldn't let me push my mush off my high chair and it warped my little psyche. Nope, you were born warped. We are born in sin. We are born with a sin nature. We are born, the Bible, Paul called it the old man, that old sin nature in us that makes us lean toward the evil. Now, if you'll understand this, I'm about to help you because some of you are really confused. You've gotten saved and you still want stuff you shouldn't want. Well, let me tell you that isn't unusual, but you need to pray for, and you're going to always be tempted. You're going to always be, t- I don't care how holy you are. Get up at 4 o'clock every morning, study the Bible for three hours before you go to work. You will be tempted that day. I'd be tempted not to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Right there's my temptation. But you would be, you're going to be tempted. You're going to long. You're going to yearn. You're going to desire things you shouldn't desire. But I'm glad to report to you today that since I have come to Jesus and sought the sanctifying power of God, he has not only forgiven me for the sins I've done, but he's helping me change my appetite. And i got to tell you that I don't love stuff I used to love, and I'm not tempted by things I used to be tempted by because not only is my God a redeemer, he is a sanctifier. He will deal with the very nature. And you're always going to battle that nature. Paul called that nature the old man in us. The old man in us. The old sin nature. You can study that. But the Holy Spirit not only works forgiveness of God, but the Holy Spirit deals with your very nature and changes your appetite. Do you know God hates some stuff? No, pastor, God doesn't hate anything. Oh, yes, he does. I I tell you, this this politically correct thing is just getting all in the church. No, you know, God, he doesn't hate anything. Well, I can show you the list. It's right there in the Bible. And what you want to do is hate what he hates and love what he loves. As a matter of fact, that's one of my regular prayers to God. I want to hate what you hate, God. I want to love what you love. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, the world is guilty of laughing at what makes Jesus cry. And I want us to, whatever makes him weep, I want to weep about those same things. Whatever brings him joy, I want those things to bring me joy. Whatever breaks his heart, I want those things to break my heart. That is the work of sanctification in you. Seek that. Pray for that sanctification all right let's move on uh the next slide and uh this is a repeat really just uh, another overlapping of something we've already taught about how the holy spirit is equal uh with the members of the trinity and in that first slide i didn't put scripture references there are some here so let's go to the next slide at the creation of the world 
and humans. The Spirit uh, has a ministry of restraining sin. In, in our day that we live in right now, the Holy Spirit has a ministry of restraining sin. You say, well, i got to tell you, man, when I turn my TV on, it sure don't look like it. It sure don't look like the Holy Spirit's restraining sin. Oh, if he wouldn't, you'd know. As a matter, as a matter of fact, here's, here's what we call him not restraining sin in this world. The tribulation period. The tribulation period. After the rapture. After we are called up to be with the Lord in the air, there will be seven years of tribulation on this earth, and the Holy Spirit will not be here in the sense that he is with us now. Right now, the Holy Spirit is a dam holding back what Satan wants to do in this world. And I know you say, could it be worse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's restraining sin. So the Holy Spirit has a ministry of restraining sin and as we taught earlier, a role in the creation. Go to the next slide. The Holy, the Holy Spirit in our day now plays a major role in the application of salvation to the individual. We've already talked about that a little bit. When you came to Jesus, it was a work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who brings conviction. We need a revival of conviction. We need a revival of conviction out there in the world that men will see their need of God. But we need a revival of conviction in the church. We need a revival of purity in the house of God. There is no power without purity. And so we need a revival of conviction in the house of God. Uh, the Bible uh, teaches us that not only does the Holy Spirit bring conviction to unbelievers, but it is the Holy Spirit that causes the unbeliever to see the truth of the gospel in the clear light. The Bible teaches us that the carnal or fleshly mind, the mind that is separated from God, cannot understand spiritual things. Listen, your family and your friends who don't know Christ, you shouldn't be appalled at the things they say. You, you shouldn't be surprised at the things they say when they describe to you their concepts of God. I had a young couple come up to me this week after preaching this sermon and they were just talking to me about a member of their family who had just created this whole concept of God that isn't biblical and looked at them and said stop talking to me about God I've had a conversation with God and this is who God is to me listen I don't care who God is to you if the God of the Bible is not your God then I don't know who you've been talking to you can't formulate your own God you can't formulate a God that fits your lifestyle. It is the God of the Bible. We don't decide what we want to believe and then go find some God to support it. We go to God to decide what we believe. We go to the Bible first. We go to Him first. Does this make any sense? So if the Holy Spirit brings conviction and a person realizes their need for God, then it is the same Holy Spirit who helps that carnal mind understand the gospel. Because apart from God, you can't even understand the gospel, even though it would be preached to you, even though it would be declared to you. Unless the Holy Spirit helps you, you can't even understand what it means that he died on the cross. You can't even understand what it means that he rose from the dead. You're like, cool, died on the cross, wow, pretty violent. Rose from the dead, wow, it's pretty magical. See, that's how the human looks at it. When the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes that truth and imparts it to you as biblical truth, then that causes, you to, that causes you to believe and receive him into your life. 
Let's look at the next slide. Those who respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and place their faith in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life and a new nature. In other words, they will be what did John tell Nicodemus or what did Jesus tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said you must be what? Born again, born a new creation. The Bible says when you receive Christ into your life, old things are passed away and all things become new. You become a new creation in Jesus. And, um, and then there, there are other scriptures there. Uh, when, but, but see, some of you are sensing the conviction right now. If you're sitting here right now and you're going, I don't know how, why in the world I even came to this service. Those songs were getting to me and now he's up there preaching and that's getting to me. And you're kind of ringing and twisting in your seat. And you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. That's called conviction. You know what you ought to, you know how you ought to feel about that conviction? You ought to thank God for it. You ought to thank God for it. And then there are Christians sitting here. I'm one of them standing here. And as I preach these things, I feel conviction. Because some of this stuff that, that I've been studying and preparing to bring to you, God stirred up things in me that I had kind of let go and let slide and hadn't looked at it in a while and hadn't really appreciated it in a while. I knew it. But I didn't, have it, I didn't have it working in my life. You know, Paul talked to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that's in you. And when you get in the Bible, when you get in the Word of God, and you start studying good theology and good doctrine, God stirs up stuff in you that you learned a long time ago, and it becomes fresh and new to you, to the point of tears. As I sit and study these things, I remember my Bible college days when I learned it for the first time. And it brings up emotions in me. And it brings up a new appreciation for God in my life and who God is. So conviction is precious. Let me just say this about conviction. When you sit under preaching like this, and when you sit under music like we've had today, and when you go out and help Pastor Jimmy with outreach, but you don't know Jesus Christ? And you're at that outreach event and somebody's up there singing a song about Jesus, somebody's miming a message of God, somebody's up there teaching, and you keep saying to God, I'm kind of happy, you know, just kind of going to the church, and I like the cool music, and Pastor Hardison makes me laugh, and I go to outreach events, and that's fun. I feel like I'm helping people. But I'm not ready to give my life to you, Jesus. I'm not ready to turn my life over. I'm telling you, what you're doing is building up a callus around your heart. Every time you hear the gospel presented, the way it's being presented this morning, whether it is in a message or a song or a video or a mime or a creative element, when the message of God is presented to you and you go, that's really nice, but it's not for me yet, you're building up what Hosea calls fallow ground. Now, you farmers out there know what fallow ground is. Fallow ground is that crust that forms on the top of the ground after dry weather. And then you pray and pray that it will rain. And so the weather report comes that it's going to rain tomorrow. And the good farmer knows that in order for that rain to sink in, he's got to get out there with a plow or a disc or whatever it is. And he's got to tear that ground up so that when the rain comes, it will be absorbed. But some of us have a heart that is covered with that crust. And things that used to make us cry don't make us cry anymore. And things that used to move us don't move us anymore because we're harder. 
were harder. And every day that you put off committing your life to Christ, it is harder. That, that is why it is very rare to see an older person come to Christ. Very rare. Statistics prove it. Research has been done. The younger a person is, the more tender a person is, the easier it is for them to receive the gospel. Y'all with me? So I'm talking to those of you who keep hearing the gospel and you think church is a social event where you go to meet your friends. I'm telling you, it's dangerous for you to be here and hear the gospel and say, not yet, Jesus, not yet, Jesus. It is dangerous for you. As a matter of fact, it would bother me to know that people can come to this church and get to a place in their life where they can go through a whole service and have gotten so hard and crusty that they don't even understand the messages for them. The Holy Spirit um, gives us that new nature. Let's go to the next slide. The Holy Spirit unites the believer with Christ, I love this, and places him in the body of Christ. So when you're saved, (laughs) the Holy Spirit takes you out of the world and puts you in the church. The Holy Spirit takes you out of the world and puts you in the body of Christ. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Next slide. The Holy Spirit also unites the believer with Christ in the death of Christ, in his death. See, we have to understand his death. We love celebrating the resurrection and praise God for the resurrection. Essential, essential, basic Bible doctrine, absolutely essential to our salvation. But it's death. It's like water baptism. That's why we don't sprinkle you. We're going to put you under in this house. Because when you go under the water, it is an entombment. It is a picture of death to self, death to sin, death to Satan. We hold you under till you say what? Tithe. That is death to self. When you come up out of that water, it is resurrection into new life in Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. Water baptism is not salvation. It is a public identification with Christ. When you are water baptized, you are saying to the world, I have come to Jesus, I have given my life to Jesus, and I have been identified with the world, but now I am identifying with the person of Jesus Christ from this day forward. When you look at me, when you think of me, don't think of the world anymore. I want you to understand I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not perfect. And I will fail and I will disappoint you. But I will get myself up by the help of the Holy Spirit and I will brush myself off and I will march on. I am a follower of Jesus. That's what water baptism says. And that's why it's so important for you to do it. It's so important for you to be water baptized. So he unites uh, the believer with Christ and places him in the body. He unites him, uh, the believer, with Christ in his death, enabling that uh, person to live victoriously over sin. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you'll ever come to a place in this world where you won't sin. You will. You will always falter. You will always stumble. You will always make mistakes. You will always sin as long as you're in this world. But when you talk about being victorious over sin, sin no longer has dominion over you. That's a big difference. Does Pastor Hardison sin? Yes. Does sin have dominion over me? No. Sin does not rule me. Jesus rules me. So when sin enters my life, Jesus comes with conviction. I come back with repentance, and I'm made right with God, and I march on. 
The Holy Spirit controls the believer. Next slide. The Holy Spirit controls the believer. Anybody here want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? I do. You say, I'm a little nervous about that. Think he's going to make me do weird stuff. We already think you're weird. Don't be scared. The Holy Spirit controls the believer who yields to God and submits himself to God's word. Next slide. The believer lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be victorious, you're going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if as a Christian you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And in this series, we will go through the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and I will give you a description of each one of the nine fruits that are listed in the Scripture. Because these fruits ought to be true in your life. The Bible tells us in the next slide that the absence of the Holy Spirit is the mark of a person who doesn't know Christ. The absence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the mark of a person who doesn't know Christ. Very important. We could talk about that. Don't have time. Go to the next slide. This is awesome. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. Seals the believer. We'll get deeper into this in the series. But this is simply means that the ministry of the Holy Spirit guarantees the security of that believer until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4 and 30. Next slide. The Holy Spirit, and this is where we'll drill down in this series. This is where we'll really uh, go into depth in this series. The Holy Spirit fills the believer. The Holy Spirit immerses, baptizes the believer. The Holy Spirit sovereignly bestows spiritual gifts that you have to give an account for when you stand before God or abilities that you have to give an account for. God gives you spiritual gifts, spiritual abilities. You will answer to God for how you use them. It's okay with Him if you use them in your business life and in your career, but He did not give them to you primarily for that. The gifts that you have, the talents you have, the abilities you have, he intended them to be used in the building of his kingdom. And whether you are using them to build his kingdom, you will give an account to him personally for how you're using your spiritual gifts. Although, um, next slide, the next two slides deal with eschatology, the study of the end times. And I did a whole sermon series on that a couple of years ago called The Last Days. And I would encourage you to get that. Uh, But let's just read these two slides as it relates to eschatology in the end times. Although the restraint of evil, remember we talked about that, how the Holy Spirit restrains evil. The restraint of evil in the world today will cease with the rapture. And that's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. The rapture is the catching away of saints to meet the Lord in the air. And even though he he will not restrain sin after the rapture, he still will be present during the tribulation. He will be present during the tribulation period. Uh, the Spirit will be involved in salvation because the seven-year tribulation period is for the salvation of the Jews. Remember that? And so there will be people getting saved, and there will be people being filled with the Spirit even during the tribulation period. So the Holy Spirit will be here in that sense. It is during the tribulation period that Jews will wake up and realize He was Messiah. He is Messiah. And, and many, many, many Jews uh, will come to him and be saved during the tribulation period. And then finally in the last slide it says, In the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, I mean when Jesus comes back, you know there's, there's the rapture, 
And after the rapture, we're taken to heaven. There's seven years of tribulation, antichrist, all of that on the earth. Up here in heaven, we're having the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, a seven-year party. And then after the seven years, we come back to the earth to battle the antichrist who thinks he's taken over and thinks he's won. And in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will slay him with the word. We won't have to fight in that battle because it is the same then as it is now. The battle is not ours, the battle is the Lord's. The Bible says in the last days, at the end of the tribulation period, that the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. and God will create a new earth as it was in the Garden of Eden before man sinned. And we will all come back to the earth. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter. There'll be no satanic influence in the world in that thousand years. Jesus will set up his millennial reign in Jerusalem. Jesus will be on the earth in Jerusalem. We will be here. We will be all over the world. We can be anywhere we want to be by just thinking about it. I'm going to Hawaii during that time. I've got plans. No more vacations at the Cliffs of the Noose. I'm going somewhere when Jesus comes back. Amen? You say, that sounds like a fable to me. Just come to Jesus and trust him. It's more real than what's around you right now. Look at the person beside you. What I just described to you is more real than the person sitting beside you right now. Jesus is coming. And the Holy Spirit will rest on every inhabitant of the earth. And the Holy Spirit will rest on our King. Paul calls that the blessed hope. The blessed hope. Father, thank you for your word today. Church, we just stand with me. We just thank you for your word today, Lord. I just believe there are some here among us who don't know you. They know about you, but they don't know you. They've never received you, and they, they sense the knocking. They sense the call of the Spirit. The Bible says we cannot even be saved unless the Spirit calls us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling in this service. I believe the Holy Spirit is calling men and women, boys and girls, saying, come to me. Come to me today. I will adopt you into the family. You see, church, we're orphans before we find him. And we need to be adopted into the family. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill this house with your conviction. And you would also fill this house with your teaching as you reveal the truth of the gospel to every man and every woman and every boy and girl in this house. We pray that those who do not know you will right now say, Dear God, save my soul. Thank you for giving your only son to die on a cross for me. Thank you that he paid my sin debt because I could never pay it 
thank you that he rose from the dead. And God, I want to tell you that I've ignored you. And I've, I've thought that I could go on without you. And I, I've tried to point at hypocrites in the church and think somehow that was an excuse for me. But I see your truth today. And Lord Jesus, who died for me, and Lord Jesus, who rose from the dead for me, if you will have me, I give you my life today. Cleanse me. Cleanse me of all my sins. Wash me today, O Lord. Sanctify me. Help me love what you love. Whatever makes you cry, I want it to make me cry. Whatever makes you rejoice, I want that to make me rejoice. I give my life to you today, Jesus. No more running for me. No more excuses. I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please. No one looking around. If you prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus to take over your life today and you know that he heard your prayer for adoption and you know today by faith he has adopted you into the family because you have turned. You are turning today from yourself. You are turning from sin. You are turning from Satan and you are embracing Jesus today. You say, Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to live this thing. There's a lot of questions. I don't understand a lot. But, Pastor, I gave my heart to Jesus today. If he'll have me, I'll serve him. If he'll have me from this day on, I will serve him. If you believe that for yourself today, if you made that decision today, would you slip your hand up real high and put it right back down? But just put it up real high and let me see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Church, look up here. The truth has been declared in this house today. We've got to walk in the Word. We've got to walk in the Word. Thank God for emotion. Thank God for feelings. I'm emotional right now. i got stuff going on in me right now, feeling. But I might wake up in the morning and feel nothing, and I have to walk by what I know. I have to walk by what I know He promised. Because, see, He's there even when it doesn't feel like He's there. He's there. Because he said he would be, and God don't lie. Get in the Word so that when you go through those difficult times, you can walk in the promises. And who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the author of the Bible. Get curious about the Holy Spirit. Break out of your preconceived thoughts and preconceived ideas. And look up to heaven and look up to God and say, God, I don't understand all about this Holy Spirit thing, but if it's for me and there's something I don't have that's available, I want all you got. I want all you got. I don't know what to call it. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get it, but I trust you. And I want everything you got. And the church said, amen. God bless you.